All right. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jesse Zaro, and I'm the host of the Library is Open podcast. Today, we have a wonderful guest joining us. His name is Marshall Breeding. Hello, Marshall. Hello. How are you, Jesse? I'm wonderful. And you? Good. Marshall is joining us this week to talk about um, where we see the open source uh, community moving. And so what I thought we would talk to Marshall first is, Marshall, give us a background. Tell us how you got into the library world and uh, where you are today. Well, so I've been in the library world a long time. So it's kind of ancient history by now. But, you know, everybody comes into the profession different ways. And so, you know, I, I went to uh, university and graduate school kind of studying philosophy. Never had a computer class, didn't go to library school. So, you know, when I started working for Vanderbilt University, you know, I thought this would be kind of a, a short uh, thing, uh, but I ended up staying there for 27 years. Uh, so I started working for you know, the science engineering library when I got out of uh, graduate school and just kind of worked my way through the system, uh, kind of landed on the technology side of things. That's something I evidently had a knack for doing. And there were a lot of opportunities. So, you know, this was when computers were first finding their way into libraries. Yeah. Uh, so kind of how do we set up our first PC and, and that kind of thing. We were implementing a mainframe-based automation system. Um, my role in that was the network uh, of terminals, as they were back then, these mm -hmm. like 90-pound uh, telex terminals that were very fragile network. So it kind of took a lot of skill that I learned in order to kind of make those uh, communicate with the mainframe and deploy them through the libraries on campus and all of that and just kind of one thing after another you know then started working more on the software side of of the automation system uh you know kind of mainframe based system uh and so forth so uh you know different kinds of uh procedure languages and all that to kind of keep that going uh, yeah. so that what that was the earliest phase of it but then microcomputers kind of came into the library client server computing uh, work more on the network side, the software side, uh, systems administration. So really kind of had a chance to do hands-on technology mm -hmm. uh, kind of at the deepest level, looking at, uh, you know, low-level uh, network communications with a logic analyzer and those kind of things. So it kind of gave me a good foundation, kind of how technology works. And, yeah. and that's been incredibly useful for me. I've written code kind of my whole career. Uh, so uh, gone through different languages, you know, Pascal, Fortran, C, C++, Perl. And, you know, again, just kind of had a chance to do that in, in a way that kind of informs what I ended up doing later in my career, which is more the strategic side of things, as I kind of uh, worked my way up the, the you know, the job chain, uh, at Vanderbilt, you know, got more area, you know, more responsibility, more supervision, kind of more involvement with strategic uh, side of technology. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that in order to administer and supervise technology, you kind of have to do technology because uh, things change so fast that it's really hard to manage the people, manage the technologies, if you don't really have a good sense of what it's made out of. 
Right. So, you know, that's kind of been my approach through my whole career is, you know, doing technology and then kind of thinking about technology, writing about technology, uh, helping libraries with uh, technology strategy and, and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I hope that everything I do is kind of informed by kind of actual knowledge of how things work, you know, kind of real data in the world uh, about, you know, what libraries use, what systems and and all those kinds of things. So you were at Vanderbilt pretty much your whole library ten, tenure? Well, uh, kind of, yeah. So yeah. Uh, worked there for 27 years. Wow, uh, yeah. And during, during that time, uh, you know, I was always doing this or that consulting job uh, uh-huh, on uh-huh. the side and lots of writing uh, and so forth, different publications, articles, book chapters, kind of real busy uh, life kind of in the profession as well as my work at the institution. Okay. Uh, which I think is a, an important thing that, you know, when I talk to folks who are, you know, thinking about how to strategize their career, you know, you have multiple things going on in parallel. You, you know, mm-hmm. you have the job that you do for your institution. You got to do that well. You got to be dedicated to that. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that's how you uh, uh, kind of move up and get compensated at the institution. But there's also the broader profession, how you, you know, what, uh, library associations are you involved with? How are you contributing yeah. to the profession at large? Yeah. Uh, and so I've always thought it's important to do both of that uh, because, you know, I'm unusual that I spent my whole, uh, that phase of my career all at one institution. You know, most folks will uh, change institutions. That's often how you get at the next uh, rung up the ladder is by changing institutions. Uh, that's not the way that I did it, but again, having a solid track record of professional contributions also helps uh, move up, you know, in institution as you change jobs and, and all those kinds of things. Absolutely. So, yeah. So when did you start the library technology blog so, website? Yeah, Library Technology Guides is a project that I started a long time ago, probably about the mid-90s is when okay. I can trace that back to. I did a project that involved creating a uh, directory of libraries. So yeah, that, that yeah. was a database of that. And uh, so it's kind of grown ever since that. I wrote the, you know, the code behind the website uh, kind of, again, is, you know, how, 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 so I thought, well, first I'll write a content management system. So I did that, and then I was able to uh, you apply that uh, content management system to lots of different projects. As uh-huh. I have. Uh, so it's matured a lot since then. But uh, the Library Technology Guides is based on that. So you know, every line of code behind the website I wrote is written in Perl mostly with a MySQL backend, mm-hmm. uh, and it kind of a allows me to kind of take information related to the world of libraries and technology uh, and kind of uh, store it and organize it in lots of different ways, which then informs all of the writing and reports and and other things that I do where I really need to understand kind of the data that describes the, the trends and technology that are playing around in the world in lots of different sectors and what's mm-hmm. going on in the US, Canada, uh, what's going on in Europe, you know, kind of just keep gathering data so that I 
you know, that I can kind of think about that and, and be able to, to, to write and do analysis based on a, what I hope is a reliable data set. Uh, so yeah, so it's a long-standing project. Uh, yeah, and it's you know the the site gets two to three million you know page requests a month. Uh, you know that you know a certain number of uh, tens of thousands of unique sessions. You know I don't have time to really track it, but you know it, it's I'm you know delighted that it gets a a lot of use, um, which is why I do it. You know, it kinda, yeah, kind of is useful to me. I hope it's useful to others. Absolutely. I mean, I can say, Marshall, I, in traveling to uh, libraries here with Bywater Solutions, almost every time I, I go to a library for the first time, they will mention that, you know, they have looked one sort of question or answer up on your website, whether it's, you know, to look at the perception survey or to look at background information about a vendor or whatever it may be. So I know it's very helpful for librarians and staff all over uh, mm -hmm. the U.S. especially. Yeah. So Marshall, I'd like to get your opinion or your thoughts on how you've seen the um, ILS market change over the years. Um, maybe just in general, how we've seen, um, just how we've seen things change. Well, so it depends on when you want to start counting. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, these big mainframe systems oh, yeah. were kind of the beginning of library automation. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of those were built in universities. Some were started in, in companies. But, you know, that was the early phase of things. Yeah. Where, you know, you, you, you build a circulation system, you build a cataloging system. Uh, eventually, those came together as integrated library systems. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's been around a long time since, yeah. you know, the late 60s, late. 70s. Uh, yeah. And they're, they've kind of passed through multiple generations of technology, mm -hmm. uh, mainframe, uh, client server, web-based, multi-tenant web-based, you know, so uh, this, you know, the technology, uh, the kind of technology has evolved, the functionality of the systems has evolved a lot uh, because libraries have changed a lot. So, Absolutely. you know, the main thing is, you know, the, you know, this is just kind of the technical plumbing that libraries need to do their work. And as libraries change, you know, that, that technical infrastructure needs to support them and kind of whatever their, you know, kind of strategic mission and operational needs are at that time. So, you know, you, you know, you've kind of seen that evolve, mm -hmm. uh, you know, over, over, you know, the, the decades and, you know, has it evolved fast enough? Sometimes I think that it hasn't, you know, yeah. be, uh, you know, the libraries change, the world is changing. Uh, faster than a lot of the automation systems that libraries have available to them. Yeah. So that's one side of it, you know, yeah, so yeah. Uh, kind of the broad kind of technology uh, and then the functionality is, has changed a lot. And of course, the 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 people and players have changed, uh, you know, the, the companies uh, and, and the other developers that you know, we started these systems decades ago, you know, the, the, there are, many of them are long since gone and, and new players mm -hmm. have, have come on the scene. So yeah, there, there's been kind of massive mergers and acquisitions and, you know, the, the business of the library automation scene has changed 
dramatically. Actually, you've done a very good job documenting that information on, on the website, the Library Technology Guides, uh, Marshall. There is a good section that shows kind of the merger, mergers and acquisitions over the years where you could see where things have started out and where they are now today with some yeah. of the ILS vendors. Right. And I recently redid the, you know, I used to have kind of one chart that kind of showed it, but now I've kind of done individual charts that show the organizations of, you know, kind of the, at least the bigger companies. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it is, I mean, it, there's a lot of history, a lot of stories uh, that are represented in those charts and, and, you know, a lot of kind of interesting and important people that have contributed to those uh, different companies and organizations and universities and and other folks that have developed systems yeah okay marshall so now i'd love to talk about uh the open source community sure so that has especially evolved and grown over the years um especially in the last few years where we've seen some um new products uh become into the market and and uh be available and and see that community grow. Mm -hmm. How have you seen things evolve over the years and, and kind of where do you see things going uh, for, for open source? Well, so there's a lot to say. I mean, so like yeah. the original notice system that we implemented, uh, you know, you got the source code to it, uh, yeah. you know, because you kind of had to because, you know, every uh, site had to kind of compile and implement the, the code. So, you know, the early, some of the early mainframe systems, even though it wasn't called open source. It has a lot of similarities to that. Yeah. And so that was kind of appreciated, you know, being able to uh, have software that you could change, you could customize, you could share. Uh, well, it was commercially licensed, so, you know, you couldn't share it in the same kind of rules that open source are today. But open, the kind of open source that we think about today really got a good start in the early to mid 2000s. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we all, uh, you know, the, the famous story of how COA came into existence uh, in New Zealand with Chris Cormack and some uh, colleagues of his kind of writing a new system to solve the year 2000 problem. Yeah. Um, and so that, that was the kind of the earliest days of what would kind of be properly called open source, you know, following the, the rules of open source that, that licensing that, that we understand today. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, you know, the early systems were, you know, pretty primitive compared to where they are now. You know, just think of, you know, the, the early versions of COA that, you know, didn't uh, even do mark records and, yeah. and that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, it's been interesting and important to kind of even watch that uh, product evolve over the years uh, to become probably the most widely implemented integrated library system in the world when you count like all of India and its uses in oh, yeah. Latin America and Turkey and in the and, uh, Philippines, all these places that, that have implemented at a very large scale. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's been interesting to watch open source be able to meet a need for technology that proprietary systems uh, just couldn't fill. A lot of it is because of cost and, and, and so forth, but the open source model has really enabled access uh, to, you know, really good library automation software to, you know, tens of thousands of libraries around the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that it, it is 
you know, by now a routine part of the library technology industry. And when you look at it in the US, you know, it's a little bit different in that it's one of a lot of different choices. Uh, a way of implementing software that has, I would say, grown gradually mm -hmm. over time. You know, in the mid 2000s was kind of an interesting uh, point uh, for open source software in the US. Uh, that was when COA was really kind of getting uh, the level of sophistication that could be involved, implemented in, you know, mid-sized, you know, smaller libraries and have fairly similar functionality to the commercial systems. Yeah. Uh, so this was at a time when, you know, through a merger and acquisition, there was a particular proprietary player that was you know, really kind of caused some negative uh, impact on, on libraries, kind of less trust of vendors. Uh, so that really sparked, I think, uh, more of a appetite for open source mm -hmm. at that time. Uh, you know, again, different players were involved then that aren't on the scene now. Um, but, you know, that was kind of the early commercial support of open source automation systems uh, in the US. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it was a big uh, burst of interest. And at the time, I, I was thinking, well, is this going to be like a hockey stick kind of curb where, you know, this is a massive change in the way that, that libraries yeah. uh, use software? You know, it seemed like that was possible at that time. Or is it going to be a more gradual uh, adoption of it? Yeah. Well, it turned out to be more gradual. Uh, you know, the, you know, when you look at the United States, just as an example of a wealthy country and the way that they uh, you know, implement software, uh, you know, it has been gradual. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I have a couple of uh, graphs that I've done recently showing that in public libraries, I should cheat and look, uh, it's currently about 15% of libraries that are automated are mm -hmm. using an open source system, you know, uh, and it's split between COA and Evergreen. Mm -hmm. uh, in academic, it's about 7%. So yeah, it hasn't taken over the world, but it is a routine part of the, the library technology industry. I think we're at a point now where, you know, in the early days of open source libraries implemented it because it was open source. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, I don't want, you know, I want more uh, freedom, uh, more control over the way I do my systems. And there's still an aspect of that. That that's that that's a spirit that I think that libraries resonate with. But it's also a time where these open source systems have to win on their own merits. That mm -hmm. you know, you can't, uh, as a technologist, go to a library director, a library board or, you know, a provost at a university saying, yeah, I want to op implement this system because it's open source. You know, you have to be able to say, I want to implement this system because it meets what we need to do. Right, the requirements. So, uh, yeah, so I think that that's the maturity of things now. And yeah. there are open source systems that do that. Uh, because even if librarians kind of resonate with the spirit of, of open source and vendor neutrality and all of that, Mm -hmm. You know, that message doesn't necessarily carry a lot of weight when it comes to the folks who control the money that the libraries are spending to buy technology. So, yeah, so I think that when you look at this ongoing 
adoption of COA and Evergreen, uh, it's because the systems have proven themselves uh, competitive mm-hmm. with the proprietary systems that, that are also in the marketplace. Um, and so it's been interesting to watch. Will there come a point where open source in the United States exceeds proprietary software? Well, the trend lines aren't quite convincing me of that, but it's going to be more. Yeah. Uh, in the academic space, it's going, uh, especially the larger academics, you know, that's kind of where uh, kind of maybe a new competition is beginning to take shape with the Folio mm-hmm. product that's been more recently developed uh, using kind of current technology architectures and kind of a fresh view of functionality, will that rise to be able to compete with the proprietary systems that are kind of very dominant large academic libraries? Yeah. Uh, So, you know, it's early days in in that particular aspect of the competition, but, you know, who knows what it'll look like five or 10 years from now. Um, I think that the we talked about the mergers and acquisitions, the number of vendors has narrowed drastically that I think that libraries appreciate having more choices. So having a new choice, even if, you know, whether it's open source or proprietary, just having another choice is a good thing. Right. Uh, But, but we did, but there are, you know, there are choices emerging, you know, between this or that company proprietary versus open source, uh, multi-tenant versus uh, uh, locally uh, installed or hosted. So, you know, there really are choices. There are dominant trends, but at least there are still choices. And I think that library, that's important to have. Yeah. I don't think libraries would really tolerate uh, a technology environment where they didn't have any choice, you know. If, if there weren't new choices emerging, I think they would be invented if oh, that's, got to yeah. the point where there, there were too few choices. Yeah. And you can use that argument to why, to why, you know, Folio, you know, has been under development the last, you know, three or four or five years. Yeah. And Marshall, I mean, one of the things that I truly appreciate about the open source community is that community involvement and the feedback that the librarians and staff can get involved in and and where they see it going. Just, you know, I know you've joined at several of the um, COA cons and COHA US meetings here in the States and just being able to get those librarians or staff members up and share workflows that they're doing and and different Mm -hmm. uh, processes and and giving back and working with the developers, I think is um, just something so special that the open source community can really, you know, add to. Yeah, and so that's when you look at the open source library technology project been successful, you know, they have broad global communities behind them. Yeah. You know, and again, turn the clock back to the early 2000s, there were two or three other open source systems that never took off. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, they didn't have a global community coalesced behind them uh, that enabled them to kind of have the resources that it takes to continually develop software over the long haul. Yeah. Uh, you know, because, you know, it takes enormous resources to create and develop and maintain, you know, this kind of business software that libraries use. 
you know, it, it's complex. You know, the library needs are complex, they're quirky, uh, and it's not a simple thing to uh, build automation systems to help them be successful. You know, every once in a while, I'll, I'll hear somebody say, oh yeah, the, the systems out today are terrible. Uh, I think I could just write one over the weekend. <laughs> And, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know that, you know, you know yeah. writing enterprise level business software is complex. It takes a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of input from the folks that you're building it for, yeah. building it with. Uh, and it's got to be kind of ongoing. There are flavors of that in open source communities. There's a different flavor of that in users group of commercial systems. Right, right. So, you know, one way or another for software to be successful, there's got to be involvement by the libraries that use the software. Mm -hmm. There's got to be, you know, conversations and discussions and input from the folks that use the software, you know, to the folks that are building it, maintaining it, and documenting yeah. it. Yeah, that continuous feedback. Yeah. So, you know, open source, has, you know, has been uh, a good model, I think, uh, for the library automation arena because, uh, you know, libraries demand a certain level of openness. Yeah. So I think, you know, it, it has broader ripple effects that as, you know, the open open source software, you know, provides an opportunity for openness. There's a demand for the other systems to be more open. Mm -hmm. uh, they do it in other ways, APIs and, and, and those kinds of things. Yep. Uh, but I think the way of the world is that libraries need software that's uh, flexible, that can communicate with other systems, uh, you know, because the automation software that libraries use is really only one cog in the broader machinery uh, that libraries are involved with. You know, got to be able to uh, interact with student systems, with authentication right. systems, yep. financial management systems, uh, you know, whether it be in an academic county or municipal environment. Mm -hmm. You know, the uh, success of the library depends on being able to use their technology to interact with all these other systems that surround them too. Absolutely. Well, Marshall, it has been just fascinating to hear kind of, you know, where you started out and where things are today. You're a really a um, deep source of knowledge for the ILS and library technology community. Well, this has been kind of my niche for a while, yeah. you know, uh, maybe it isn't interesting to other folks, but it's interesting to me and it, and it, it's been, you know, I've just had amazing opportunities, yeah. uh, you know, to be able to kind of, you know, meet folks all over the world, kind of work with all different kinds of libraries, uh, you know, that, you know, it's just been, it's, I've, I've just been really fortunate and had great opportunities. Uh, yeah. By kind of following this little niche of technologies, maybe it's not so little anymore. Um, you know, uh, and I hope it's for the the betterment of of the folks that are in libraries. Yeah. Well, speaking of, where will we see you next? Where are you speaking at, or what conference are you heading to next? Well, the next one that I really know about, you know, uh, I'll be going to Chile to to speak at a at a meeting. Okay. Uh, so that's my next international one. I'll Great. be at the Computers and Libraries Conference. I always go to that in uh, in 
Washington. Uh -huh. uh, I think that's in later in March. So yeah, I mean, uh, my my calendar kind of fills as the the year progresses. There sometimes I think, oh, this can be a quiet year. Well, that's never really happened. So. <laughs> Well, wonderful. Well, we look forward to seeing you at the next event. Maybe, what about PLA, the Public Library yeah. Association? Yeah, so it's right here in Nashville. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm registered for that. So I'll go to, to some meetings and and try to sit on some sessions and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, wonderful. I'll be around. Wonderful. We'll look forward to seeing you there. Okay. All right, Marshall, thank you for joining us for uh, another podcast of The Library is Open. Okay, this has been fun.